Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A moral victory for the Wild last night, and I think Judd is loading up a rant. To moral open our show vi- today. You call that a moral victory? Well, they got the point. That two, was a piece of crap. Two periods of playing like absolute dogs. That was awful, And man. that's not even what I'm mad about. Awful. Thanks, Kenny. And Sage Rosenfels in a half hour. I hope you're going to go off on our goalie. We get oh, things yeah, I got a lot more than that to go bell. Go, on, go, go get them, You'll enjoy. Go get them. Gets the puck. Looking out front. Gaudreau passes, Hamilton scores! Dougie Hamilton's second straight game-winning goal. This one in overtime, and the Flames knock off the Wild 3-2. Well, the points are really important to get. When you get one, you get two. I mean, you obviously like to get two, but uh, the one point was really important, especially the way we got it coming back in the third. But then again, we missed some grade-A chances that... uh, um, you know, could have made the game a little bit different a little bit earlier. Unable to put it in. I mean, we had the, the puck all around them, and one pass too many here, one pass, you know, too many there, not enough shots, and um, and Smith was on his game. All right. Listen, they got a point. I don't know what more you want. They're getting points. They're they're keeping themselves in the playoff Did you race watch the game, by the way, too? The first two uh, periods in which they were absolutely pathetic. If I have a choice most Tuesday nights of a wild game, a mediocre wild team, or This Is Us on NBC, Judd, you know what I'm picking. I'm picking This Is Us on NBC. (laughs) But Judd Zulgad is here to rant about the sport he loves the most and the team he's the most emotionally attached to. All right. The new Minnesota North Stars. Yeah, I uh, I come with a page of notes. A page of notes. This is very, very focused. There's so, a couple of highlighted pieces out there. This are. is an eight and a half by 11 notebook with highlighted pieces this, of content here. This comes very focused, so listen up and listen good, okay? This doesn't even have to do with two periods of horse bleep hockey. Overtime last night. What have I been doing all year long? I've been trying to help this team, right? I've been trying to help this team in overtime because they were starting Koivu and Suter, and I said, you can't do that, quit doing it. They did, and they immediately improved. So let's go to last night's OT session with the game tied at two. Let's start with number 20. Your 13-year, $98 million defenseman, Ryan Suter. Mm-hmm. Ryan Suter, now, I want you to see this, Phil. I, I charted the overtime shifts themselves to see who was going out with whom and how long. Ryan Suter took it upon himself to essentially, and don't tell me he didn't, so if you're a wild apologist, just shut up and listen. Back off. Ryan Suter double-shifted himself. He got himself into a situation in which wild apologist (laughs) will say he got a breakaway. He had a breakaway. Well, guess what happens after the breakaway and he gets stopped? 
he labors back to the bench like the old man he is. There's only one problem with that. It's overtime. It's four on four. It's a young man's game. Oh, by the way, at around the same time period, Suter and Miko Koivu had been on the ice together. Bruce, you're listening on the app right now, I hope. The, the, the brand new mobile app. And it's very nice. So, for Bruce, iPhone users. you can hear me loud and clear. Miko Koivu and Ryan Suter, and Miko, who, by the way, also had the flu. <laughs> this should never happen. They should never be allowed. I don't care what they tell you they want to do. I don't give a damn. They should never be on the ice together. I'll make this simple for you. Father Time 1 and Father Time 2 ain't going to work on the ice together in OT. But yet, that's what we had. The guy's a warrior playing with the flu, and you're ripping him. I mean, so, come on. So, Suter... You didn't play with the flu last week. So, I tried, and then I quit. <laughs> and then, wisely, I stopped. So, Suter, on his breakaway, essentially can't get back to his own bench in a decent amount of time, which means not a regular which means not a regular first three periods a lollygag back to the bench. It means getting back to the bench quickly, because, once again, it's four on four. And the Flames, of course, come down and score at the other end. Another problem, Bruce. There were three shifts of human beings sent on the ice by you before Jared Spurgeon, who is built for overtime. Jared Spurgeon is your best defenseman, not Ryan Suter, and he is built with his speed, with his size. Everything about him screams, put me on the ice early in, in OT. Are you saying Spurgeon is their best defenseman, period? Yes, he is their best defenseman, period, right now. And Jared Spurgeon is built to play in overtime. The fact that it took three shifts of people before you got him on the ice, and by the way, he got on the ice just in time to be able to do nothing about the game-winning goal by Calgary. The last point about overtime. Matt Dumba, listen up. You are... This team's you are one of this team's most effective players in overtime. You can be an idiot on the ice sometimes. You can do really dumb stuff. But when it comes to overtime where you've scored goals, you can be extremely effective. You took a penalty early in overtime because you got mixed up in some of that nonsense that guys love to pull you into. So you were in the penalty box. It was idiotic. All right? So main point, though. Ryan Suter on the ice in overtime basically spells doom. And when you double shift yourself, you are absolutely screwed. Anyone go back and watch last night. Watch him try to get back to the bench as the puck goes the other way and Calgary scores. Sounds like the Wild might have double shifted in their breezers in overtime last night. That's how you lost the point. That's how you lost the point. um, It's a good rant. Uh, It's a good wild rant. Now they sit right now in the standings. They sit in a tie. There's a million teams with 48 points right now in the Western Conference. In fact, let's see here. San Jose has 48. Calgary has 48. Wild, Blackhawks. And they're all kind of fighting for that 7-8 spot in the uh, in the Western Conference. So even with maybe a failed opportunity to get another point last night, they, yep. they're still hanging around. I, apo- alligator I, I apologize. I got so worked up that I said that OT was four on four. I know it's three on three, people. I realize that. Wow. My point My point is Ryan Suter is ineffective in overtime, okay? I apo- Matt Cheetah, I apologize profusely <laughs> for saying four on four. I know well, it's you're three. You're counting the goalies. You're, I know, count, you're counting the goalies. It's fine. I know there's, it's three on right, three. You're right, four on four. Listen, though, Matt, Matt, here's what I don't want you to get tied up in. I don't want you to get tied up in correcting me when we're trying to correct the Wilds' problems, okay? I apologize. It's three on three. Can I add, I'm still right. Can I add to your rant? Of course. Why is it necessary? La- last night was a microcosm 
of the Ryan Suter, Zach Parisi era of wild hockey, with the exception of one season, where you fall behind early, early in the game, and you fall asleep for a period or two, and then it's a mad rush in the third period. Oh, yes. Or you fall asleep in the first half of the season. I've got your answer to this, And then yes. you have to mad yep. rush your way in February and March. I yep. mean, like last night was actually a pretty good microcosm. It was perfect. Of, of, and, then you, and then you claw your way back and then still wind up losing in the end, either in the game or the first round of the playoffs. Absolutely. Or right? Absolutely. Do you recall uh, two years ago in the playoff game, in the playoff series, the first round series where they lost, I think, in six games to Dallas? The game, the Sunday afternoon game six, when they went down, I don't know, it was four zip or something like that. And then the third period, everyone went and absolutely they, they nuts. They tied the game, right? Didn't they, they? I think they got within a goal, and then I okay. think Dallas scored, and then I think they scored again. But yes, all of these. This is why I am proposing this morning a name change. A name change for our, our hockey team. The Wild is a stupid name, right? I mean, it's very ambiguous. What does the wild mean? The no, logo? No one knows. Like, Nordy is very, he's a very ambiguous he's mascot. He's asexual at best, yes. <laughs> at best. At best, he's asexual. Can you do this name change this close to Hockey Day Minnesota? Yes, I can. A when lot it, of things are already in place. When is Hockey Day Minnesota? Next Saturday. Oh, it's already coming up. Oh, yes. yeah, the 20th. Yes, it is. I'll be sure to, to uh, in fact, to lot binge of watch Netflix last that night day. on the broadcast. Yeah. In fact, let's unveil the new name on Hockey Day. Oh! All right, the Wild's new name. I give you the Minnesota Furious Rally. <laughs> From here to four, we will call them the FRs. So we, the we, Furious Rally. So it's, it's the it, FRs, basically. So we, give, yes. we, we we also maintain the lack of a plural nickname, right? Uh, Just like the Furious Rally. I have no idea An what ambiguous the, non-plural a uh, singular thing. I have no clue what the logo looks like. <laughs> I have yes. I mean, you could keep it as the same. No one even knows what the Wild lo- logo okay. looks like, really. It's I, like some wilderness and some green and red, and no one's really sure. I give you the Furious Rally. All right. We are now the Minnesota Furious Rally because, to your point, when the chips are down, because we have basically decided that we didn't didn't want to play for the first two periods of any given game, I said last night in the press box, I said, these guys, this is what makes them unlikable. I said, these guys are going to come out in the third period, and their hair is going to be on fire. And sure enough, and to your point, though, it's the greatest because they come out they tie the score, the crowd goes wild, and they ultimately yeah. lose the game in OT because they are still the furious rally. Can I? I'm, let me add another thing too. I, I like this rant this morning, and I told you this off the air before I walked in. I've been trying to pinpoint this season in particular. I mean, you know me, hockey is not exactly my uh, my favorite sport, but I'll get. I'm more of a a stretch run playoff bandwagon hockey fan. I'm in when there's more urgency to the games. Mm-hmm. It's uh, In basketball, Like I'll watch the Wolves games. I'm probably not going to be glued to a random Cavs game. I need, I need to get toward the end of the season of our winter sports, then I'm much more engaged. I find myself almost actively rooting against the Wild sometimes because of just how unlikable they can be. Like There's so many things about them that drive you crazy. Their lack of secondary stars, right? They're like Parisian Suter are aging and slowing down and injuries. And and there's that next wave that's supposed to produce at least a couple superstar players. And we talk about this all the time on the show. And there's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's like a couple decent players and some guys mm-hmm. who can maybe score some goals. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. They fall behind in games. Mm-hmm. They fall behind and underachieve early in seasons. Mm-hmm. They get coaches fired. Uh, they fret like Bruce Boudreaux is one of the great regular season coaches in the recent history of the NHL, and even he's frustrated by this bunch. Yes. And they can't get past the second round of the playoffs. Yep. So 
I mean, would it be fun if they made a run? Yes. Do I think that they're going to make a run, barring Devin Dubnik absolutely catching ridiculous fire in the postseason? No. And so, I don't know. I just, I watch this team and I almost have disdain for it sometimes. Welcome to the club. So that turns I've, to apathy I've been there for, for about me. three years. Yeah. Since since they got Yoel fired. Now, last year improved, but since they got Yoel fired and you go into that locker room and after a game like last night, you always hear, well, you know, we got the point. I mean, the point's good. You're coming off a game in Colorado where you embarrassed yourselves, where your head coach had to leave the press conference because he basically didn't want to continue to say things because he knew if he did, he would say he would basically rip his entire team. So last night you come out with the opportunity after giving up seven goals in Colorado to say, okay, we're at home against a team that's close to us or just ahead of us actually in the standings. We've got an opportunity here to go out and play impressively. And for 40 minutes, you're essentially checked out. You had Chuck Fletcher said a few days back, I guess, that he that this team needs three lines, Phil. He said, this is a three. We need three lines. And right now we've got two. Only last night you had one play. The Koivu line. The Koivu line was the only line because they, they put Zucker and Granlund back with Koivu early in the game. And that was the only line. Yes, this team, this team as a collection is an unlikable group because they always seem to embrace drama. This is the it's the same feeling I had toward the end of certain Gopher sports eras where, okay, it's just time for Tubby, the Tubby Smith thing. It's they didn't cash in a couple years ago when they should have, and now it's 2013, and it's uh, or there's certain Gopher football. This happened maybe with the Twins. All right, Guardy, it's been a good run, but yep. I'm just kind of done with this. You guys are losing and you're underachieving. This is a so. player problem, though. This is a locker room player problem. Yeah. Uh, let's take a rare phone call on the opening bell before we get into the latest Reggie Lynch developments and Sage Rosenfels in about 20 minutes. Uh, Larry, you're on with Mackie and Judd. We never take phone calls in the bell. So, Larry, uh, the floor is yours. I feel privileged. Thanks, Chad. All right. We got uh, Wild sitting at 48 points on the cusp of the playoff bubble. Chicago Blackhawks sitting at 48 points on the cusp of the playoff bubble. In the last couple of days, here's what Stan Bowman, Hawks GM, has done. Put Cody Franson, decent defenseman, on waivers. Sent a couple other guys down. Scratched a couple other guys from their lineup, including Brent Seabrook one of the best defensemen in Hawks history who's capped at almost $7 million. And they're trying to make a push. And Chuck Fletcher's counter to that is to come out and say, our team plays hard, and I think we can make a push. So there you go. That's all I got. Yep. Drives you crazy. It drives it drives you crazy. And and I, start, I started to see some tweets uh, last night about Boudreaux. This is nothing to do with the head coach. This is a player problem. And I'm going to tell you right now what I said uh, to a buddy of mine in the press box last night. You don't have enough winning players. If you want to look at people and say that guy can win, you you don't have a leader, a clear-cut one, and you don't have enough winning players. And it's that simple. You have a lot of guys who are more who would be who would be ecstatic to join the old Twins Fun Bunch. That's what you have. The hockey whisperer told you that before the season started. Well, you were. That's why the hockey, the hockey whisperer whisperers. had no interest in this team from the beginning of the season. Anyway, that's my run. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll come back. The latest on Reggie Lynch. Yep, there's more. We'll talk about that when we come back. And to Sage Rosenfels, we'll continue our Vikings voyage for vindication and catch up with Sage Rosenfels.
at 9.30. Later on, Mike Golick Jr. joins the show. Vikings prop bets at the top of the hour. Uh, before we go anywhere, you know the big game's coming up. You know the big game I'm talking about. Now, there is a myth when it comes to selling your home, and this is why the Chris Lindahl team uh, is great. They can squash myths like this, that you should wait until the spring season. The spring season is the time to sell your home for the most money. Actually, now is the time to sell your home for the most money. High demand and less competition. So don't wait until after the big game into spring season to sell your home. You just need the right team. The number one REMAX results team, that would be Chris Lindahl and company, which sells a home every nine hours for over the MLS average. And here's a special deal for Mackie and Judd listeners and 1500 ESPN listeners. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value. We're only giving it to the first two callers from 1500 ESPN today. 763-401-SOLD. Again, that's a free staging package to get your house ready to roll, ready to show, and ready for you to make a lot of money. 763-401-SOLD. Chris Lindahl hooking you guys up. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Back, back. On 1500 ESPN. The university's Office of Equal Opportunity and Affirmative Action finds Reggie Lynch responsible for sexual misconduct in an incident dated April 7th of 2016 and that he also violated university rules. The recommended discipline for Lynch is immediate expulsion from the university. He didn't do much yesterday just because, you know, I'm more focused on the guys that are playing uh, more than anything, but he was there. Uh, but, you know, it was it was a short because we're so banged up right now. Okay. Uh, but he is there, um, you know, if need be with certain things. Will he practice going forward? I mean, do you yeah. know? All right. Uh, Reggie Lynch is going to get kicked off the team. It's just... It's just a matter of waiting for the appeals processes to play out at this point. Unless, and so now there's another case that came out from the same time period, by the way. There's yes. there's, there's two open school investigations. April 2016, took, correct? Yep, for within two weeks of each other. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, which was actually the first one to come out, was the police investigation. He was cleared by the police and by the school. Yep. Uh, that was a year ago. But unless he can bring some key evidence in defense of himself to these appeals hearings, he's going to get kicked off the team. It's just a matter of, I think people are wondering, and you and I were talking about this before the show, well, why not just kick him off the team when the complaints are filed? Like Dan Dockett said on ESPN, Mm -hmm. a complaint gets filed, why not just kick him off the team? Mm -hmm. Well, two reasons. Number one, last time this happened... And this included a police investigation at first with the football team. Mm-hmm. Five of the ten players actually won their appeals. So if you were to say, all right, these complaints are coming in and there's a police investigation, all ten of you get the hell off the team, you're all gone without letting the appeals process play out. Well, then the the five guys who actually had evidence that they brought to the table with a lawyer, um, you wouldn't have been able to give them their their fair shot. So that's why. If you're wondering why is he not just off the team, well, he's suspended from playing and once the appeals processes play out in the next month, right, he's going to get kicked off the team. And uh, considering how much smoke there is in these cases, and there's probably more that just aren't being reported, right. booting him is the right thing to do, even if there's not a criminal case. Now that, so it's going to happen. The key thing here, too, also is to keep in mind, so, um, so the first April 2016 allegation and EOAA report came to light last week. Coyle gave his press conference on Friday. So this secondary one that was reported on and found out yesterday 
Coyle and Patino knew about last week as well. Yes. So they so so you're also going to get people now saying if you knew there was a secondary allegation against him, why why didn't you act harsher towards him with two? But I, I they're think, waiting for him. I think the response goes plan. back to, to exactly what you just said. Yes, that they, they're gonna they're going to say he's not allowed to play in games, uh, but until. He appeals. We're not going to take the move to kick him out out of school. And I think you're right. I think they are simply trying to cover themselves legally here, because he has no he has no God given right to play in games. I think if you boot him out of school, it gets a little bit dicier. And and I'm not saying you can't. You certainly can. But I think that probably in their mind gets dicey. And and as we've seen from this school before, they love to sort of walk the fence as much as possible. This is not a school of great, what what I would call great action. This is a school of reaction. It's not a lot of. There's not a lot of proactiveness to, uh, to their approach over the years. They react a lot. And let's get into this too. We're going to get to Sage Rosenfels to talk Vikings and the uh, voyage for vindication against the Saints this weekend in about ten minutes. But while we're on the Reggie Lynch subject, and we can get back to this later, we'd love to open up phone lines maybe at some point later on the show. But Mark Coyle, I get that. You can't, like, you legally you can't talk about certain things. And I understand that. And I'm sure at some point he'll have to address this again because now there's, an, like you said, when he addressed the media last Friday, from the media standpoint and from the public standpoint, we all thought that that press conference was about one specific allegation and one specific investigation. As it turns out, they knew, Mark Coyle and Richard Patino that there was a second one, and they had that information when they decided to suspend Reggie Lynn. That's why they suspended him, because they knew there were two of them, one of them which is uh, recommending expulsion. But I get that you can't say certain things legally. But can you come across as a stronger leader? He just comes across as twitchy and nervous and and weak, to be quite frank. I would just say be more prepared to deliver a stronger message to the thousands and thousands of people that are standing at your doorstep with pitchforks right now. Mm-hmm. And so go in knowing that you can't say X, Y, and Z, but that you can maybe say some things that will either calm people down, that will either explain the things that you are doing behind the scenes, if you are doing things behind the scenes the last couple of years. I gave you this example before the show, too. When a president addresses the nation, whether it's this country or any other country, after like a terrorist attack... Mm-hmm. They aren't able to tell the public all the things that they know about the strategy going forward here or the investigation about the attacks, right? But what they but they don't get up there and say, um, uh, "Yeah, you're going to have to just refer to the uh, to the terrorist process playbook." I can't share anything they, with you. They make, I can't share anything with you. They you make, can share something, some sort of strong message. They make an opening statement too. The thing that was on unfor- Reggie Lynch forgive- is suspended. Yes, it took. I checked. It took six questions, he, and, and he did not make an opening statement on Friday. It took six questions for Mark Coyle to give you the one bit of news that he rightfully could. Yes. How do you not get up to the microphone and say, okay, here's what we're doing. Lynch is suspended from games immediately, and if you want to say indefinitely, by the way, that's fine too. You you can use that word. He's going to continue to practice there is a there is a report that's being done. I cannot talk about that. I can't. My hands are tied. I'm sorry. But what I can tell you is this. Reggie Lynch is not going to be playing in games. And for that to take six questions. And but here here's where the leadership of the school, and this goes beyond coil, drives me absolutely crazy. 
For whatever reason, if you are a, a primary mover or shaker at that school, God has gifted you with a job of a place that is in constant crisis, sports-wise. Like, that should be your assumption. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, crisis follows that athletic department around. I don't know why, but it's a given, and it's been a given since I was a kid, okay? It's not a coincidence. And it's, no, no, but I mean... It's bad leadership. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the situation that you are in. And so, when Norwood Teague leaves, and that is a complete boondoggle, when the Teague thing blows up completely... How do you not sit down and say, among the things we need to do here is get a leader in place who is definitely the anti-Teague, yes, that's good, but also who people can look to in a time of crisis because God knows it's coming and look at and say, you know what, this person, I trust this person and this person is delivering a message I can believe. And Mark Hoyle might be a great guy, I don't know, but here's the problem. When the Minnesota Vikings sent Rick Spielman up uh, to talk about Peterson a couple years back and say at that time that despite the child abuse charge, Peterson was going to continue to play, that was a misstep by the team. It was unfair to put your GM, you should have sent a lawyer up there, you should have sent a top executive, but to send your football guy up there was a major misstep. When Mark Coyle took the podium on Friday, he was the guy to send. They were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like, Mark Coyle is the face of your athletic department, and he's the guy who has to go up there and answer the questions, and more importantly, give the fan base a sense of, I've got this. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And at every turn from this school, we continue not to get and, that. And I think it's not as much, he's so focused on what he can and can't say, and I want demeanor. I want presence from a leader. I, I graduated from the University of Minnesota in 2007, and I'm embarrassed to tell people oftentimes where I graduated from, specifically because of instances like these, and then the way that these instances are handled publicly. Come out, deliver a strong message with your presence, with the, with, with the, the tone of your voice. And like you said, if the headline is, Reggie Lynch is not going to play against Indiana, because there's an ongoing investigation. Don't wait six questions and pray that nobody asks you about Reggie Lynch's status. Come out right away. Get out in front as much as you can, even though there's a lot of things snowballing here. Come out and say these three or four things. Reggie Lynch has been suspended indefinitely because there's an ongoing investigation that I cannot go into details about. I would love to go into more details about this. And don't just meekly say it while sort of you know hiding behind a microphone. Show people you're there and you're a leader. You're powerful. And then tell people, we have certain standards of behavior. And if those standards of behavior are not met, we have a process. And it's not, a, it's, it's not as much about what you're saying. It's how powerful you're saying it. And he doesn't come across as a strong leader. Mm -hmm. But you know what he could have done? And he chose not to do this until like 10 questions in if he even did it at all. People are questioning because they're not thinking about the timeline as much here. And that's not their responsibility. It's yours as a leader to communicate what's happening behind closed doors at the University of Minnesota. People are questioning whether you are overseeing a culture of sexual misconduct. Tell them for two years, ever since I took office in June of 2016, and you made that point once, the June of 2016 point, mm -hmm. which matters a lot because these incidences took place before he took office. Mm -hmm. But people lump him in with this, Mark Coyle, because he's being a weak leader. Tell people... When I took office as AD, 
I collaborated with all of the coaches, specifically the men's basketball coach, Richard Pitino, and we set out this coursework. It was mentioned very briefly, like 20 minutes into the press conference, after people have been throwing grenades into the house, right? Come out right away with what you can control and with what you can tell people. Yes. Something that matters and yes. something that, that helps, you know, reset the course here. So, I don't know. It just frustrated me because but, this continues, even if these incidences have not happened for two years. Like, let's say Reggie Lynch has been on his best behavior for two years. You need to make it clear that it's different the last two years. And they're not doing that. But the frustration here, too, is this. So, so far... In the past year plus, he's had a football scandal and now this. And in both cases, he has given you zero confidence that he's in control. There's n- There's been zero press conference. There's been nothing where you've said, they've hired a guy who I feel in, in a time of crisis has yeah. this thing. And he's doing, he might be doing the right thing, but he looks like he's bumbling because he's so nervous yes. and says so very little. And by the way, by waiting like five minutes into the press conference to mention that Reggie Lynch has been suspended, it makes you seem like you're hiding from the fact that you have to punish him. Like that's what it, that's what it yeah. comes off as. And they would deny all of this and say, well, there's certain things we can't say. But if you're willing to say it six questions in, yep. come out and, and it's the headline. Reggie Lynch is not going to play against Indiana because we have certain standards of behavior that we do not tolerate. If you don't, if you don't meet those standards, and that's like, so simple. All right, Sage Rosenfels to talk Vikings and uh, continue on with our voyage for vindication when we come back. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're not teaching uh, Sunday school class in terms of morality. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Well, they're playing a lot better now. You know, they've got uh, 20 interceptions and 42 sacks, and I think that's their, you know, their mantra is that they want to, they want to create havoc for the offense, and um, you know, they've got. Good players. That's uh, Mike Zimmer talking about the New Orleans Saints defense. We have shirts available. The Vikings Voyage for Vindication. You can buy them at teespring.com slash voyage. And all proceeds go to the American Cancer Society. So we're not uh, we're not looking to make money ourselves off those. We were uh, planning to donate to charity. Available through uh, today, right? So we're not being sleazy t-shirt salesmen. We're trying to raise money for a good cause and have some fun. And Sage Rosenfels was uh, on that Vikings team that played the Saints last in the playoffs, 2009 NFC Championship game. And I feel like, first of all, thank you for joining us, Sage. We uh, we always appreciate the time. It feels like people are billing this weekend's game as experienced Drew Brees against inexperienced zero playoff starts Case Keenum. Um, which I think discredits all the other components that are going to matter in this game. What do you think? Well, it's a big component in the game, and I, I think it's important. I, mean, I, I think that a quarterback with as much playoff experience that Breeze has is, is an advantage, and, and having a quarterback with no playoff experience is a disadvantage. I, I think there's nothing wrong with that statement. I think the Vikings are a better football team. They've, they've got more depth. They've got better players and more positions. Uh, but at the most important position, you know, and I love Case Keenum. He's done some unbelievable things this year. Uh, in this situation, I would take Drew Brees uh, if I had a choice of, of quarterbacks. Hey, Sage, take me through the uh, jump and play that Case is going to experience uh, going from what he did, what he uh, just got done facing to a playoff game. Well, I think that, you know, there's – I remember my rookie year, uh, it was like during the – it was during summer, maybe it was during training camp, and – I was with the Washington Redskins. This guy, Jimmy Ray, was our offensive coordinator. And, and one time he took me aside and we were talking about the speed of the game. He said, you know, there's different, le- there's different speeds of the game. There's, there's preseason football, there's regular season football, and then there's playoff football. And, you know, the, the, there's players just uh, put it on the line. 
even more at the end of the season. And it's, you know, it's the best players in the league who, uh, who over the course of 16 games, uh, uh, you know, basically they're, they're one of the best teams. They know who they are. Uh, they, they know what they do well. They know what the other teams do well. There's a lot of tape to watch. Uh, so you just can't make very many mistakes because uh, the game gets so fast in the playoffs. Uh, and players uh, said that they know they know their offensive and defensive schemes so well uh, that a lot of times these types of games just come down uh, to a mistake here or there. Uh, and, and I think that's why playoff football is so fun to watch because you know one small mistake, uh, even in the first quarter, you, you know even mistakes mm-hmm. in the first quarter can cost you and 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 cause you to to lose a football game in the end. How tough does it uh, get to be in a game like this as well, Sage? Uh, not to try to do too much. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, and, that, and that's that sort of case cases deal, right? I mean, he's this guy who's a very good executor, and occasionally he becomes a very good playmaker. And I think that's what so what sort of separated him from you know Sam Bradford uh, as the quarterback was that he had this extra element that when things break down, he can create and make some plays off schedule. Uh, the problem with that is occasionally when you do that, you, you make a throw that you think is going to be a good throw, but then there's a, a safety or linebacker that you just didn't see. Uh, you know, when, when the pocket broke down, you're scrambling out of the pocket and you throw it right to him. Uh, and Case has done that this year. So uh, he needs to continue to try to just execute the offense uh, and make plays when he can, but not force anything. And that's why I think playoff, you know, these playoff games get really tight because most quarterbacks, you know, think to themselves, you don't want to make the big mistake. You want to live for another day. Punting is okay. And so there's usually less, you know, sort of wild plays made in the playoffs. Uh, which has really been something that Case has been phenomenal at all season. Yeah. Sage Rosenfels uh, joining us here, Mackie and Judd. How would you stack up this Vikings roster and uh, the 2009 Vikings team that uh, went to the NFC Championship game that you played on? I was just thinking about this last night. Uh, I think it was because Brad Childress retired. Yep. <laughs> Daryl Bevel uh, got fired last night. Eric the enemy took over. So all these old Vikings coaches you know, from that 2009 year were in the news. Um, and so I started thinking about that roster. You know, we were 12 and four in 2009. This year, this team was 13 and three. This team has a lot of talent. They've got a lot of really good players. Uh, th- this team might have more, maybe almost more depth uh, than that team, but that team had some superstar players. I, 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 I'm thinking for Hall of Famers, you know, Brett Favre, Adrian Peterson, Jared Allen, and probably maybe Steve Hutchinson, yeah. a Hall of Famer. Kevin Williams is sort of one of those fringe, maybe Hall of Fame type guys. Um, so that team had, I believe, more talent. But I believe this team is much better coached. I really do. Uh, I, you know, th- that defensive scheme uh, was not an attacking style of defense. It was a bend, don't break defense. So didn't feel like we could really use the talent we had on defense to our advantage. Um, and offensively, uh, I don't think we made the most of your know, agent Pearson not, did not have a great year. Percy Harvin uh, as a rookie was, I mean, I, I'd never seen a guy who was that fast and strong uh, and, and could run the ball and catch the ball. Uh, I had not seen a player like that in my time in the NFL at that time. So uh, I, I think that 2009 team had more talent. I think this 2017 team uh, is, is better coach. And that's why they won 13 football games with a backup quarterback. How much do you now look back on that uh, 2009 title game and th- think about what transpired there, Case or Sage? Uh, My bad. How much? Do I, okay. How much do I think of? Uh, yeah, about that game. I try not to think about it so much. I think this time of year, it's just natural for it to come right. up 
or when I see the Saints in the playoffs or even the Vikings in the playoffs, it just, it's, you know, those sort of feelings of playoff football come back. And, and, uh, you know, for me, that, that, that championship game down in New Orleans, uh, I will, you know, have memories of the rest of my life. I mean, that's why I wrote that Sports Illustrated article uh, about that game. I, I couldn't get that game out of my mind for, for days. And I just started writing things down and, 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 and left it on my computer. And, and, you know, what is three, four years later, retired and, and was talking to Peter King and, and ended up uh, sending him that story. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that, 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 that game means, uh, means a lot to me, meant a lot to me. Uh, it was, um, it, it was quite the atmosphere. It, it was, there were so many moments in that football game uh, that, uh, uh, that they are etched in my memory. I'm sure a lot of other uh, players memory from both, from both teams. Uh, for the rest of our lives. Yeah, we uh, first of all, people, the the article you're referencing, I saw you tweeted it in the last couple of days. So people, go find Sage's Twitter account if you missed the um, the SI.com article where he kind of recaps the the game. Go find it and read it if you haven't. We had Longwell on the show for 20 minutes yesterday, just telling stories and and he was talking about. I mean, he was kicking down the sidelines, practicing for what for a kick that never happened, and he was talking about the about two plays being signaled in and what's. What's one thing behind the scenes that we didn't see on TV or didn't see watching the game that if if this would have happened differently or been communicated differently in the last like five minutes of regulation or even the last two minutes that would have potentially swung history in your mind? Well, I mean, it's, I think the twelve men the huddle play yeah. is, is 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 that's the play. I mean, that's the play that uh that really cost us the game and that's what i mean is is you know we we're talking earlier about uh you know with case or, or turnovers i mean every play is so viable and you know usually just one random penalty doesn't cost you a football game but in that instance it it did it cost us a, a chance to go to the super bowl and i think we would have won the super bowl you know that year and uh you know i don't, I don't know if I don't know, and it's it's interesting because Eric Bieniemy was just hired yesterday, and and at the time he took, uh, you know, after that game that Monday morning, he took responsibility uh, for the twelve man huddle play. And I don't think it was really his fault, uh, but he did, and that's the type of guy Eb is, and that's why you know players have always liked him. That's why Andy Reid just made him his offensive coordinator. He is one of those guys who will take responsibility and, and take the fall and fall on the sword, uh, 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 you know, for the rest of the team. And um, so it was a really interesting situation. I think we were in about a third and two, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe third and third and one or something like that. And we called this this play that sort of looks like a run, and but you get this fullback in the flat, uh, and it's usually always a fullback. Um, but but in that situation, we wanted to do it with uh, with a, a three wide receiver set with no fullback in the football game. It was sort of a new. It was one of those plays that you can run out of multiple personnel groups, and this one we had. It was a sort of Bernard. Uh, it was a bunch formation, and Bernard Barian was the was the flat. He's the guy that was supposed to be in the flat, and and being that it's almost always a fullback, ninety five percent of the time when you call that type of play, that type of, of play action, that's a regular you know a fullback in the flat. So that's why uh, you know Fahey went into the game, and, and we ended up having twelve in the huddle, and and then what 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 for me for me I remember I remember that uh, that we called the same play again. And that was always something that I, I never really, you know, said, I didn't say anything about that. obviously to Daryl Bevel, the Childers, or anything, but I was really surprised that we called the exact same play again because now we're in about a third and seven situation. And, and you know, the old, the old play action with the fullback type player in the flat is not going to work, you know, in, in, in that type of play because the defense is going to play a little bit more, 
uh, you know, a little more coverage and, and a little, little bit less blitz. We were expecting blitz on the original, uh, you know, third down. And so, so that's, that's something that's interesting about the end of that game. And, and as soon as you got that bunch formation, actually the, uh, the New Orleans Saints were in some sort of man coverage. They were in some sort of blitz and they checked out of it. Jonathan Thoma knows they get those bunch formations. If you're playing man to man, it's really easy to get picked. So they checked out of it into cover two. Uh, which, you know, you have those hard corners in the flat, which meant Bernard Barron was not going to be open, which is why Brett Favre ended up scrambling, which is why he ended up throwing, he ended up throwing that interception. Yeah. So was, was in retrospect now, uh, does Brett take any responsibility for the 12 men? Because I remember it being uh, talked about shortly after that, that, that one of the quarterback's jobs, uh, Sage, is to stand outside and basically count heads first and then go in in to give the plays so that it doesn't end up being 12 men. Was there responsibility there, or, or was that not his fault at all? No, I don't think it's Brett's fault. I mean, I think that does happen. You know, you're in the huddle. You're, you know, you have your offensive lineman. It's usually quarterbacks on the left side of the huddle, let's just say. So you have your offensive lineman, uh, you know, to your left, and you have all the sort of skill position players to right, receivers, running backs, tight ends. And, and usually you can sort of count them, you know, where's where and who is who and how many do I have in here. And when you have, uh, you know, already five guys to your right, five skill position players, and you see somebody come out on the field, mm-hmm. that's when you a lot of times see quarterbacks step out. Uh, of the huddle because uh, they're worried they're going to have you know 12 in the huddle but I think at that at that point that that was not you know, you know I don't think that was far that <laughs> you can't blame far for that you can blame blame him for the interception mm-hmm. uh, but you can't blame him for that that was on the players and the players and the coaches on the sideline uh, who should have been more organized before they ran to the football field awesome hey great stuff hey what what are you doing uh, writing podcasting where can people find uh, your stuff these days if you're doing stuff yeah, I do a Locked On Vikings podcast. Uh, it's actually five days a week. I go on three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, I think you can find it all over the place. I, I, don't know, I think it's on Spotify now. It was audio boom before. So it's, 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 you can find that Locked On Vikings. Uh, I write an article for The Athletic uh, every Thursday, uh, you know, th- throughout the base of the second half of the season. And I'm not sure how much I'll do in the off season, but I write solely about the Vikings on Thursday. And then on Mondays, uh, I write about uh, just general quarterback play and offenses and, and teams around the NFL uh, for the score.com, uh, which is an app and a website. So nice. I'm, I'm busy enough staying busy here in quasi-retirement uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, and, and I'm really happy that I get to get to cover the Vikings. And I'll be at the game on Sunday. I'll be up there cool. uh, rooting on the home team and uh, also you know, sort of working because uh, I'm sure I'll be writing about the game uh, the following week. Uh, say, since he's done now, give us your favorite chili story. My favorite chili story. Your favorite Brad Childress story. I have, I have a whole bunch of least favorites. Well, then Brad give me one of those. Probably, but. I want one chili story but before we're done. Uh, I don't know if I have any good ones for that I can really, you know, really say. I, I will say this. Um, I've got nothing against Brad Childress, but I think most people probably know uh, or knew during that time that he and I just did not get along that great, uh, did not really see the eye to eye all that well. Uh, and it had really nothing to do with Favre coming in. Um, it just We didn't have a great relationship. I, I think that I was really hopeful. You know, I got traded up here from the Houston Texans, and I was really hoping to be the starter. You know, Tavares and I were competing. I thought I played extremely well in the preseason uh, in, in both uh, 2009 and 2010, and uh, I really thought I outplayed uh, uh, Tavares in both those, both those preseasons. But, you know, I was still 
uh, you know, in 2009, the third string quarterback, and in 2010, they traded me to the New York Giants. Uh, yep. Even though I asked him, he asked me what I wanted to do in 2010 when Brett came back a second time. I said, I want to stay here because I had a lot of fun last year, and I want to make another run of the Super Bowl. And two days later, I got shipped to the New York Giants. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I just was not a big fan of him. Uh, and not, not, a, not a lot of coaches go to the playoffs, the next year go to the, 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 a championship game, and then don't even finish the next year as head coach and get fired. Uh, you have to be a special type of something to, for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of what that conversation's like. Uh, uh, Sage, uh, uh, we uh, traded you. Uh, thanks, Brad. All right, no, that's that, that, that conversation was it was I, I, it was a walkthrough, and he walked up to me. It was, Brett, it was Brett's first day back, and he goes, "Well, what, what would what what would you like to do, or what what are your wishes in this situation?" And I go, "Why? Well, I'd really like to stay here. I really had a great time last year." And he goes, "Okay, I'll think about that." And then I was pretty <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'll think about that. Actually, we already booked your flight, but uh, yeah, good, well, talk. Thanks good talk. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for Yeah. Thanks for my input. Oh, man. Great stuff, man. Thanks, thanks you Sage. Very much, Appreciate Sage. it, man. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Sage Rosenfels. Let's, we're way up against I the I love button. the chili stories, though. Let's come back and talk more. All right. Mackie and Judd are back. It can actually be a little exciting. On 1500 ESPN. 1500 ESPN. Visit St. Paul, the city of St. Paul and Wells Fargo. Invite you to experience Wells Fargo Winter Skate, a free outdoor artificially chilled ice skating rink in downtown St. Paul at Rice Park. It's open seven days a week in the heart of the city. Winter Skate creates a fun winter experience for visitors of all ages. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. That was great. It was was fun because yesterday we had Ryan Longwell on. Sage Rosenfels was great. Uh, reflecting back on that 2009 NFC Championship game. And, and Longwell took us behind the curtain. He's warming up on the sidelines, ready to kick a 49-yard field goal. Five-yard, 12-men in the huddle penalty, backs it up. And he said, yeah, I don't really know a lot about the intricate details of the the personnel groupings or why it went haywire, because I'm a kicker and I was kicking and warming up. But we had two different play calls called in is the way he characterized it. And Sage came on today and filled in some of those details. It wasn't necessarily two different play calls. It was the same play, but they wanted a different personnel grouping for a play that they'd never grouped before. Yeah, which is very dangerous. At that point, yes. Late in the fourth quarter, going for the win in the NFC title game, that's a very dangerous proposition to decide, you know what, we should do, try this right now. And then get everyone on the same page in a short amount of time, on the road where it's loud. We will. I will say this. This is what? That's 2009. All these years after the fact, the one thing we will never know is if there was someone truly at fault. Well, Brad Childress has to be. No, no, but but I but I'm saying You're the leader of BNME, miscommunication. BNME said I screwed up. Uh at the time it was blamed blamed on the tight ends coach Jimmy Johnson. I mean, Childress ultimately is, but I I'm just saying as far as the exact dynamics of what transpired uh, for that personnel package to go haywire and for an extra guy to trot on, on the field. We'll never know exactly who said to that guy, because I thought it was the, the tight ends coach from the story that I heard immediately after the fact who basically told that guy, go on the field. And that's the amazing thing about great coaching, Bill Belichick or or a Nick Saban in college. You don't get stuff like that. You don't get all, all coaches know X's and O's. Now, I'm sure like Bill Belichick, Probably knows X's and O's even better than Brad Childress, but Brad Childress knows X's and O's. But if you can't get everyone on the same page when the pressure is mounting and you're on the road and it's freaking loud Mm -hmm. and there's some confusion, if you can't pull everything together in that moment and say, stop, here's what we're doing, 
go. Yeah. Or if everyone doesn't just feel the empowerment to be able to do it right, right. freely. Right. And that's what it, it came down to that at the end of that game. If they if they kick a 49-yarder, Ryan Longwell makes it. This is the this is the definition of why not every successful coordinator is meant to be a head coach. This is exactly why. Mm-hmm. Because if you can coordinate your side of the football, that's all well and good and that could be fantastic, but that does not mean that you have the administrative capabilities to then take that next step where you're in charge of everybody and at the most crucial times, you've got to slow people down. Vikings prop bets when we come back.